Hi, this is Wilson, lead pastor of Renew Church OC. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our sermon series, Psalms, the Internal Life of David, pairs narratives from David's life with Psalms that help us pull back the curtain to understand what he's feeling, how he's praying, and the way he's relating to God. LA is all about how you look and the two-second impression you give to other people. But God doesn't look at the appearance. He looks at the heart. I hope this series helps us to take our eyes off of the external and focuses our attention on developing our internal life with Jesus. Good morning, everyone. Uh, So today we're going to continue in our series in the Psalms and talking about the inner life of David. Uh, We'll be looking at Psalm 71. Uh, which is also known as the prayer of the aged believer. Now, we have no idea why Wilson asked us to preach on this, because technically we're young adults. We go to young adult fellowship, we go to young adult small groups, so I, I, right? I, I, don't, I don't get it. Okay. And then if you're wondering why are we both here up together to deliver this message, uh, let me give you a, a picture that will make sense for you. A while back, uh, I was seeing an older gentleman in the clinic at the hospital. And as he was walking into the exam room, uh, he was going nice and slow. He was using a walker. And next to him was his wife. His wife had a cane. But in her left hand, she was also propping him up and moving him along so it doesn't take that much longer to get into the exam room. So they finally settled in the exam room. I turned to him and I said, sir, how are you doing? Before he can mutter a word, his wife jumps in, not unusual, and says, we're doing great. I'm like, oh, okay. Tell me, how are you doing great? Well, between the two of us, we've got two good eyes. Between the two of us, we have two good ears, two good legs, and one half-decent brain. So hopefully today, between the two of us, you'll get a half-decent sermon. (laughs) Anyway, uh, in traditional uh, Renew style, we have a question for you to think about. Uh, It's going to put you into that, in the the groove of being older. So the question to you uh, to discuss and break into groups of two, threes, fours. Imagine yourself as an 85-year-old, maybe this gentleman that was walking into my clinic. What kind of an old person would you be? It's a very open-ended question. What kind of an old person would you be? What would be your disposition, all that? So just share amongst your small group, what kind of an 85-year-old do you think you would be? Okay, so I'm really, really, really curious. Uh, Show of hands, how many of you in your sharing uh, portrayed yourself as a really cool 85-year-old? Really cool. All right, all right. How many of you portrayed yourself as a kind of a grumpy 85-year-old? All right. Okay. Yeah, so for me, you know, I I, I think that hopefully when I'm 85, I can still do my 10 pull-ups. I can still, you know, do 10 laps with uh, using butterfly stroke and, and I can keep my guns. But anyway, we'll see. Uh, 
Yeah, when I look out at all of you, I realize that most of you are probably not thinking about aging. Um, Christy and I, uh, over the last five years, we've been thinking more acutely about aging. Part of that has to do with my parents, uh, my mom and dad, uh, over the last five years. Uh, Christy and I have been taking care of them through their final years and helping them transition to the better side of heaven. And although we would never wish that experience on anyone, uh, we learn so much about watching other people in their final years of life. Uh, and as we were watching them and interacting with them, it really helped inform us about how we are to live our lives um, today. Now, even when we were much younger in our 20s and 30s, we kind of had this philosophy of living life backwards. What I mean by living life backwards is I, I would imagine myself dying, buried, and there's a tombstone. And on the tombstone, I imagine it saying something like, here lies Ken. During his life, he... He, he strived to get closer to God as he strived to bring others closer to God. And that's kind of my end game, so to speak. And so throughout life, even in my 20s and 30s, when I had decisions to make, should I do this, should I do that, I would think about my end game, striving to get closer to God, bringing others closer to God. And if it didn't align with that, uh, I would, it would be more clear to me what is my priority. Uh, so knowing what counts at the end reminds us and informs us of how we are to live today. And that's no matter what age uh, we are uh, and what stage of life we're in. So today's message, it's not only for us senior citizens. And by the way, I did invite some of my senior citizen friends. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Um, this message, I think, will be uh, applicable to all of us. Okay, so Psalm 71. Uh, next slide. Um, go, go back one, sorry. Go back, go, uh, go back, backwards, sorry. That's the title slide, title slides, uh, Psalm 71. Yep, thank you. Um, first, a little bit of background on Psalm 71. Most commentators feel this, this psalm was written by David. And if you look at the wording and all that, it's just so divinic. Uh, but this is not completely confirmed. But what everyone unanimously agrees on is that this psalm was penned and written by a senior believer. Uh, so for this message, uh, we'll go along with the majority of commentators and Wilson and assume it's written by David. Uh, and, and so if you look at the historical books, uh, 1 Kings chapters 1 and 2, we get a sense of what David is like at this stage in his life. And if we read it, we would see that uh, he is, his body is getting weak. Uh, it even talks about that he has a hard time keeping himself warm. So I did a brilliant uh, diagnosis. Uh, so David likely suffered from senile hypothermia. There's stage one, two, three of senile hypothermia. What is that? 
When we get old, uh, things start to break down. Our heart is failing. Our brain is failing. And it's hard for us to even regulate the thermostat of our body. We can't even keep our normal body temperature. Uh, so that's kind of what David was, uh, was uh, uh, yeah, th that was his state. That's my hypothesis. No one ever mentions that in the commentary, but that's my, my view of it. But anyway, so he's suffering from senile hypothermia. And on top of that, he's being pursued, chased by Adonijah, his son, his second son, who's plotting yet also to overthrow, the, uh, overthrow his throne. So uh, we see uh, David here crying out to God in Psalm 71, asking for him for help. Uh, so as we turn to the passage, uh, we're going to share with you four tips on aging well. Uh, Chrissy will take the first two, and then I will take the last two. Thank you. So our first tip on aging well is invest time in conversation with God. Let's look at verse 1 to 4. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge and to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. Friendship with God means growing through conversation. In our entire series on David's life, we have seen David's conversation with God. It included everything. He would plead, he would beg, he would ask for forgiveness, he would cry, he would praise. He was fully transparent before God. Nothing was held back. David knows that nothing is unknown to God, nothing would surprise him, and nothing is off limits. He can simply come before God just as he is. David had a close relationship with God. With every conversation, there is the aspect of listening. In Psalms 62:11, David wrote, one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to, to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. Don't forget to listen to God and meditate on his word and let him speak to you. In June, um, Pastor Wilson asked me to preach if I could preach on July 4th. And during that time, I was going through a lot of insecurities and um, I was really fearful of preaching. One thing was my eyesight was going because of dry eyes disease and thus my humongous fonts right now that I'm reading off. And then a test result came back saying, confirming that I do need a hearing aid. So now thus I am wearing hearing aid now. And on top of that, my hip's been bothering me, so I've been having walking problems. So with all that stuff going on, I felt like, plus it was a short notice, I said to, I told Wilson, no, I don't think so. I don't think I can help you on July 4th. And he was able to get Kevin 
Go, Kevin. <laughs> and um, I lost track of where I am. So in light of those things, I said no to Wilson. Then the following week, I really went through a week of struggle. Um, I, thought, I thought to myself, well, what kind of pastor am I if someone asks me to preach and I say no? I am no good. I'm not worthy. So all these words started getting to me. So the only thing I knew to do is to lean hard onto the word and let God's voice speak. So I spend a lot of time in the word and letting God's voice of truth get louder than the sounds of lies. So with that week, I got better and I got a, a more sense of peace. And in the morning, um, I was having my devotion and I was thanking God for the sense of peace I was experiencing. I got a notification. Usually during devos, I would ignore the notification for whatever reason I decided to be distracted by this one. So I checked and it was a text from Wilson again. And this time he was asking me to preach. He said, could you preach on Psalm 71 on the topic of aging coming up in August? I thought to myself, this sounds like God talking to me. And I might have read the Psalms in 71 verse 9. It says, do not cast me off the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. God spoke clearly to me that day, telling me that whether or not you can hear, walk, or see, I can still use you. And thus, I'm speaking before you this morning. God has fresh revelations for you and I at every stage of our lives, even the elderly. I think of my 80-year-old spiritual director. Each time I spend time with her, She's at ease, she's at peace, and when she speaks, all kinds of incredible wisdom and insight would just flow out of her so naturally. I can tell she spends a lot of time in that house of prayer with the Lord. And David cultivated this friendship with God through honest conversation. I encourage you to do the same thing. And if you want some practice on listening to God, I recommend the the Bible app that we all use to read Psalms on. And if you go to the homepage and scroll down, you will find a section on prayer. And you tap on that, it is a guided listening prayer. And you follow through and you can go at your own pace and you tap on it, it will go to the next page. So I encourage you to try that. I use that almost every day. In fact, I was using that when Wilson notified me, gave me a notification and texted me. So invest time in conversation with God. Tip number two, remember God's track record of faithfulness. Verse five to eight, for you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as important to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, with your all, glory all the day. Remember God's track record of faithfulness. Looking forward can be scary because none of us can control the future or know what the future holds. And I get scared every time I think about the future with Justin 
when Ken and I are no longer able to take care of him. Justin, our youngest son, has autism. He's 26, and he cannot communicate his wants and his needs. So he has trouble with that. And so when I think about what's going to happen to him when we're gone, I kind of have this mild panic. And when I panic and when I sense that, I dial back. I remember. I remember the hundreds of meetings that we went to for him to go to the school district and advocate for the support that he will need and how God provided everything he needed. I remember all the challenging behaviors like self-injurious where he would hit himself and running across the street without looking and all those behaviors that we have to deal with and God provided medical as well as behavioral support for us to get through them. God provided it during high school as well. He was able to join the track team. He went to the prom. He was able to walk across the stage to get his diploma. God provided for him beyond our imagination for 26 years. If he has been for him, there for him all those years, he's not going to let him go now. So I remember whenever I start to panic. When facing a challenge, verse 5 and 6 tells us to remember. Remember your birth. Remember your youth. Looking at the past gives us perspective. He's a consistent God. You will see that he's a consistent God that is worthy of our trust. Verse 7 says, you are my strong refuge. Take refuge in God rather than take offense at troubles when they come to you. Meditate on his character. Remember that he's a provider, that he's a protector, that's not grow tired or weary. David in Psalms 143 verse 5 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. So do whatever it takes to remember. A lot of people journal. I see a lot of you with journals right now, writing down things. I keep a journal for all three of my kids through one to age 18. I would write down all the ways God provided for them and the miraculous ways that God has answered their prayers. And when they turn 18, I give them that journal and then encouraging them to continue journaling God's faithfulness. Don't let those experiences go to waste. Your experiences are God's gift to you. As we go older, we might feel like our muscle powers are gone, our memories are going, and we start having this sense of despair that's from the evil one. Just remember that you can trust God to give us stamina and favor to finish well. Remember God's track record of faithfulness. Point number three, tip number three, tell his story. But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord, God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me. I will still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, Oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation 
your power to all those to come. In Psalm 22:30, it says, future generations will be told about the Lord. And in Deuteronomy 6, these are familiar passages. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall walk, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. The relationship and influence that one generation has upon the next is so important to God. Now, I realize that many of you, like myself, had parents who immigrated to the U.S., and so you've had to deal with not only the generational gap, but also the cultural and language gap as well. But God's design for us has always, always been to be a multi-generational family. We are to respect the generation that came before us, and we are to nurture and respect the generation that follows us. For Chrissy and I, our guiding principle towards the next generation has been and always will be, may our ceiling be your floor. May our ceiling be your floor. Whatever we've able to accomplish, whatever God has done in our lives, may that be the starting point for you. Not that you have to relearn everything again, but where we finish, may you start and, and go above and beyond what we could have ever done or dreamed about. But this aspect is impossible if we don't share his story if we don't share our testimony to the next generation. This passage in Joshua 2 says, And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, died at the age of 110. Hopefully we'll get there. And there arose yet another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and serve the Baals. Here we see within just two generations, the people did not know God. How is this even possible? Well, the first generation knows God. They experienced Him. They got themselves and found themselves in dire trouble. They called out to God in desperation, and He answered their cry that He rescued them. They knew God intimately and experienced His presence, power, and love. But if Gen 1 doesn't share these stories with Gen 2, then Gen 2 has a peripheral knowledge of God. They know of God, but they don't know God. And they've had no experience with God. And then by the next generation, guess what? They don't know God at all. And we've seen this happen to many of our relatives and our friends. Now, many parents uh, have this philosophy, and I can see why, where we're told we should shield our children from the struggles that we have, whether we're having financial struggle or health struggles. Let's not burden our children with these struggles. And I can see the point of that. However, for Christy and I, even when the kids were young, uh, we would gather weekly for family devotion, family prayer time. And we would share, of course, all of the praises, 
but we would also share all of our struggles. Age appropriate, of course, but we would share our struggles. And week by week, as we shared our struggles, whether it be stuff that I'm facing at work or anything else, and we would come together as a family and pray to God and beseech his help. Week after week, we would see and they would experience God answering those prayers, and they would experience firsthand the hand of God through those tough times and into, uh, into praise and worship. So we would rejoice together and experience God as he answered prayers. I remember, I think uh, we were in our mid-30s, and I was hanging out with the senior pastor's son who was in his early 20s. And as I was hanging out with him, he expressed that he wasn't sure that God was real, and he wasn't sure that this Christian thing was real for him. And while I was shocked and taken back by his comment, I explored further with him, like, you know, tell me more. And he said, well, you know, frankly, I've never really experienced God. I've never experienced him being real or him really make a difference uh, in my life. And so I was really shocked by that because I knew his dad. I knew that he was a man of prayer, a man of faith. I knew all the struggles that uh, he had to face uh, personally and as a congregation. And time and time and time again, he'd go on his knees and pray, and God would come through, and God would come through, and God would come through. Yet, I realized that probably he shielded his son from all of these ups and downs. And I remember distinctly making a note to self, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't shield my children from the struggles that we would go through as a family because they would never see the triumph and they would never see God being real. And so this concept of each generation needing to invest and impart in the next, you know, I, I think of Mary and Larry Wang. Uh, they didn't know I was going to point to them today. And I, I just I really appreciate week after week you guys being here as part of Renew I know you pray for us. I sense that. I know you pray for Wilson, your son, and you're here to support them and to su uh, support him and support us. And you model for us in your quiet way. You model for us what it means to pay it forward, what it means for one generation to spiritually pay it forward to the next generation. So uh, both in our birth families and in our church family, we need to invest time and tell his story to the next generation. So I'm going to quickly do a point of application, even though this is point three. Uh, for those of you in the older generation, raise your hand if you would be willing to spend time, take a younger generation person out for coffee or lunch, and you'd be willing to do that and also take care of the tab. If you're willing, raise your hand. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. Uh, for you younger generation, and you can fit in both categories, raise your hand if you'd be willing to hang out with someone from the older generation to listen to all of our mistakes, 
how we've screwed up so badly and get a free coffee or lunch, yay? Okay, all right, this is better than coffee meets bagel, uh, right? So just catch up with the person who rose their hand during the Q&A and, and break and so on, and you're gonna get a free lunch or coffee, okay. Point number four, enjoy God, tip number four. In, our, in my generation, the baby boomer generation, uh, there was no such thing as enjoy life. We were all on delayed gratification, like major time delayed gratification, right? So our job is to work hard at school, study hard, uh, get good grades in order to get into a good school, work hard, get good grades, and to, and to land the, the best job possible, work like crazy so we can get promoted, start a family, and then finally retire, and then you can enjoy life. Okay, so that's baby boomers, and no wonder you have a whole generation of workaholics. Um, and, and, and we hear that now, like when we get together with our friends, almost always the topic of a conversation is, so, when are you going to retire and enjoy life? And by enjoy life, they're implying, when are you going to retire and travel? When are you going to retire and buy that second vacation home? Or get that boat that you always wanted and play golf as long as you need wanted and maybe visit the grandchildren. When I think about the list of those things about enjoying life, it doesn't sound that great to me except for the grandchildren part. I'm waiting for that. But uh, it just doesn't sound like that's like the end-all be-all. Um, and so we want to look at David, you know, suffering from senile hypothermia. And what is it that he's enjoying? How is David enjoying life in old age? And really, the answer is he was enjoying life because he was enjoying God. Let's read on. Uh, Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You have done great things, O God. Who is like you? You have made me see my troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. And so I also will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, oh my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed. For my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Next slide. Did you ever think about why we praise and worship? So these are the things I came up with. We praise and worship, number one, to thank God, an expression of gratitude. I think we'd all agree. Number two, we praise and worship to compliment God, to tell God how great he is, how magnificent and how all-powerful and how awesome our God is. And that's certainly a valid reason to praise and worship. Number three, well, it's kind of our job, right? In Romans 12, it says, present your bodies as 
living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So it's our job. So it's an expression of gratitude. It's a way of complimenting God. And it's our job. But brothers and sisters, it's really so much more than that. It's so much more than that. Praise and worship is not merely saying thanks or a compliment to God for His goodness. It's the actual experience of enjoying Him. As a matter of fact, it's the ultimate enjoyment in life. Think about it. As C.S. Lewis put it, points out, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. All enjoyment spontaneously flows into praise, overflows into praise. I'll give you an example. You're at a football game. You're rooting for your favorite team. The score is tied. It's the last minute of the final quarter. Your quarterback launches a pass deep into the deep end zone, and your wide receiver jumps over two of the uh, defense and catches the touchdown pass. You are going crazy. The crowd is going crazy. You're jumping up and down. You're high-fiving everyone. And so if you think about it, you're praising, aren't you? And why are you praising? Is it because you want to thank the team for a good job? Is it that you're complimenting the team for uh, great execution of plays? Or are you just kind of responding to the enjoyment that you're seeing around you? No. You are at the pinnacle of enjoyment when you're praising. Think of it another way. If you could not shout and scream, if someone said, okay, sit still, go home and write about it, and you wrote about how grateful you are and how complimentary you are for the team, man, someone cut short your enjoyment by like 80%, right? Because you couldn't shout and scream and yell and praise. That's what worship and praise in is, the ultimate enjoyment of God. C.S. Lewis, again, puts it best, and I wish I had a British accent, but I'm going to say it the best I can in non-British accent. I think we delight in praise, what we enjoy, because the praise is not merely expressing, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. As a matter of fact, the delight is incomplete until praise is expressed. Okay, so God is not merely asking us to praise and worship Him as a compliment to stroke Him in some weird way. He invites us to praise and worship for us to enjoy Him. Really let that sink in. Praise and worship is there for us to enjoy Him. Now hang in there. There's more cool stuff coming. Everyone is familiar with this uh, Westminster Catechism. Can we read it together? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Let's do that again. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, I don't know how many of you get up in the morning thinking, today I'm going to enjoy God, right? We may think about today I'm going to glorify God, but we don't think about today I'm going to enjoy God. And do you realize that these two things, glorifying God and enjoying Him, is intertwined and interconnected? Let's take a deeper dive into that. 
I love what John Piper says. Who of you are familiar with this phrase? John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Let's say it again. Say it together. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You got that? Okay. So you, you, I, I say this to myself all the time as I'm driving. I say this to myself. And there's a, it just look, it's like looking at a diamond. You can just keep getting more and more out of it. But this interaction between God being glorified in us when we are satisfied in him uh, is just a gem. So our, and, and so how is it? How is it that God's glory is dependent on us being satisfied and happy and enjoying him? This is really the good news. God created us for the purpose of enjoying a relationship with him. Agree? But we rebelled against him. We called this sin and we went our own way. Yet, God pursues us. Jesus dies on the cross to take our punishment upon himself in order to restore our relationship, in order to enjoy us. Now, when we accept and embrace this good news, we become his children, his bride. And so we praise and worship him, not just to thank him or to compliment him, but as an outflow of our joy in him. So when God is worshipped and praised and enjoyed by us, he is most certainly glorified. And remember, we love him because he first loved us. And this cycle of love, this cycle of enjoyment is this amazing relationship we have in him. And the older I get, the more I enjoy God. I enjoy his creation. I enjoy his people. I enjoy breathing the air that he provides and everything else he provides, the hot shower, the soft blanket, the sunset, but mostly, I enjoy being in his presence and being loved by him. The secret to aging well is to enjoy him more. So that's our four tips on aging well. Number one, invest time in conversation with God. Number two, remember his track record of faithfulness. Number three, Tell his story to the next generation. And number four, enjoy God. May we all have the desire to age well and to bear fruit for him in every season of our lives. Let's pray. As we close in prayer, Ken and I would like to say a prayer of blessing over you in two categories, the younger and the older. We'll let you decide which category you belong to, or you can belong to both. We will pray for the younger generation first. And I ask that you put your hand out in a receiving posture as we bless you and pray for you. We just sense that the Lord wants to 
speak this over you this morning. My beloved one, I see you. I have always been with you, even when you were formed, and I will never abandon you. I know you feel unsure, insecure, anxious about the future, distracted by so many things. Let me be your rock, your foundation, your north. Let me steady your gait and your gaze. Trust that I can carry your burden and carry you at the same time. Learn to hear my voice in the middle of the night and in the busy of the day so that I may speak tenderly to you. You are my beloved. You are the apple of my eye, my treasure for whom I would swim the deepest oceans. And now let me pray a prayer blessing for the older generation. So if you would extend your hand out to receive from the Lord. My beloved one, I see you. You have been so, so faithful. You have walked the path I set for you. You have endured hardship, yet persevered and remained steadfast. You have willingly and lovingly sacrificed for the ones I entrusted to your care. Well done, my good and faithful servant. <laughs> Yet I am not done with you. I want you to finish the race and finish strong. There are specific people who need more of you in their lives. You know who they are. Only you can truly speak into their lives. And I will give you strength. I will be your shield. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Irwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast. Or you can visit our website. And your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.